We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 251. We're day four now with no Yankees baseball, no regular season baseball. You having withdrawals yet? I got to be honest with you. It's been a little nice. <laughs> it's been a little bit of a, a I, I've come back down. I've, I've regrouped. Uh, I feel like I'm, I'm, you know, getting my energy uh, coiled up for the second half. Uh, I love the fact that we're starting with the Mets. I think that's that's going to be a, a fun series, especially with the pitching matchups. Might not be a fun series actually because the pitching matchups. Um, yeah, not really, looking uh, good for the Yankees. Yankees. But yeah, I don't know. It's been a, it, this one's been a little bit of a, a rejuvenation for me, and uh, I, it came at a good time. I think so. I'm happy with the way things went. There was a low drama for the All Star break, relatively for the Yankees in in, in the real world. Low drama um, in the fake world. There was all sorts of drama, but. Yeah, I'm ready to go for this weekend. It's uh, it's going to be a fun series. Yeah, I was going to say we're really jumping into the deep end to start the second half when we have the Subway Series and also our event on that Sunday night game. So you're saying this is a nice rejuvenation, but then we're just going to be right in the thick of it right after that. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's the thing. It's It's been, I think, quiet on the front, but it's like the quiet before the storm coming of, of this whole weekend and... Um, you know, the second half, because it's going to be an exciting second half. We got ourselves a, a pennant race, and that's the probably the biggest pennant race in baseball right now. I mean, it matters so much compared to where everybody else is in the uh, in the playoff standings and, and on the road to the playoffs. So 
I mean, I'm just I'm just excited for some good baseball coming up in the second half. So we're going to get into all the recap of All-Star Week as well as some team awards that we're handing out to the Yankees uh, for the first half. But why don't you just update people on the July 22nd event? Yep. So the July 22nd event is this coming Sunday, Sunday night. We have the pregame set up, ready to roll at the Bronx Brewery. That's going to be from 4 to 6.30. Again, everybody who bought tickets gets a free pint when they come in the door. And uh, you'll have a wristband and tickets that Andrew and I will give you. Um, we do have a lot of the T-shirts from people who signed up after the deadline. So if you did not get your T-shirt, make sure you just come see us as you come in. And uh, we have uh, a good amount of inventory for everybody who didn't get theirs yet. It was after the deadline. Um, but yeah, looking forward to that. That one's going to be just just a ton of fun. Um, we have uh, right around 200 people coming and uh, we have section 305 again. Or I'm sorry, 205. 205, <laughs> 205 again for it's it's early, man. We got 205 ready to roll. Um, and uh, the, the Magic in the Bronx t-shirts were for the first time that we did the uh, the navy blue shirts a couple, couple months ago. This one is baseball is better in the Bronx because it's the Subway series. So I made sure that the design was tailored to this particular series and uh, this year for the Subway Series. So I'm happy with that. Uh, the shirts came out awesome. You guys should have your shirts by now. So if you don't have them and you signed up beforehand, uh, shoot me an email and just let me know that. And, and you know, we'll try to make sure that we have everything ready for you at the brewery if uh, worst case scenario. So um, Yankees, remember, it's a Sunday night game. So the Yankees are sending over the tickets. They usually send them like four days before the event, three, four days before the event to us. They transfer all the tickets in one group. Um, and then what we do is we start transferring the tickets over to you guys. So you'll get an email from me today and uh, most likely you'll start getting some tickets either today or um, the, the rest of them will be done by tomorrow at the latest. So and uh, just keep an eye out for that. And quickly on the brewery, last time we were hanging out in the back uh, patio area. So if you walk in the brewery and don't see us immediately, assume we're back there. That's where we'll be handing out the drink tickets and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. That's it. And then uh, right around the corner, we have the August 18th event. That's the celebration breakfast beers for 20 years. We'll be doing at the dugout for the 1998 celebration um, to celebrate that 1998 team. So. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of those guys are going to be uh, in town doing events around the, around the city, too. So keep an eye out for those things. I know um, there's uh, there's just uh, David Wells is doing an event coming up. Um, I'm sure Cone will do some speaking stuff. There's a lot of these. A lot of these guys will be uh, will be doing some stuff for that for that team. Awesome. So uh, home run derby on Monday. Did you uh, were you into it or did you think it was kind of lame because there wasn't much star power outside of Harper? I, I didn't think it was lame. I just wasn't. I wasn't obviously as 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 into it as I would have been with uh, with one of my guys, um, and the fact that there were last year just a, a ton of of stars in the uh, in the event, and we had two of our guys in it, so it was a it was a big to do about the whole the whole all, the whole All Star weekend and and week last year was much different, <laughs> just because it was a lot of the guys' first one. We had Judge in the Derby, uh, Sanchez in the Derby. Um, Judge was like the taste of the town basically last year. And, and this year felt a little different, obviously, because we had guys injured. You know, Judge and Severino were the only guys playing in the, in the game. Um, and then we didn't have anybody in the, in, the, uh, in the derby. So, yeah, it felt different. But I still, I still like it. I like the way that they're doing it, and I think it was good. You do like the home run derby. Do you, do you think it, um, 
Because this is what happened with the Home Run Derby after the 90s and the early 2000s. It lost its luster, and it was right. way too long. It would end at like 11.15 at night because they were giving these guys 10 outs. They would take a minute and a half off in between each swing, wipe their sweat off. Some people would come out and give them a Gatorade. Like, the shtick was really getting old. Right. And I think when they added the clock, it actually did add something. It added an excitement level. You knew it was going to be over at a certain time because it was on a clock, which is unlike anything else in baseball. But you don't think so? You're still on board with this? Well, see, I think that was the biggest deal. I think they made uh, they made a, a big adjustment by adding that clock and getting rid of the outs. That was a big deal because it, it took away the uh, the staleness of it. So you can't, like you said, you can't just take time off. You can't uh, look at a thousand pitches. Like you got to swing the bat. You got to go because the the clock is ticking. So I like the fact that they did put a number on it and said, okay, you have X amount of time to hit X, you know, as many home runs as you can. You have what what two timeouts? I think. Um, or maybe they got more as they went on, and, uh, and and yeah, you knew it was you knew it was up. So I think fan as a fan, when you're looking at this uh, the event and you see the clock, it gets more exciting because you know it's ending. Like you know it's coming down, and there's a tick tock, tick tock, and you like everybody likes the, uh, the the buzzer beater. Everybody likes the you know countdown with the with the big shot at the end. And, and this is what we saw. This is how we how Bryce Harper won it at the end of the clock. Like it was, it was exciting. Fun. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. He hit a bunch of home runs right there in the final yeah. the final countdown, and his jack his dad, dad was throwing finally. to him. Uh, his dad looks like he's on a steady diet of steroids and steak. But oh yeah, that dude is a monster. I would not. <laughs> I would not. I mean, it's it's very it's very obvious where this dude gets his competitiveness. <laughs> yes, like the apple does not fall far from the tree. Yeah, um, and I expect Bryce Harper to be a massive human being when he's forty five, fifty years old. I saw people talking about how this is going to get Bryce Harper more money on the on the free agent market. And I'm yeah. like, really? The home run derby is going to earn him more money? But it, it actually might, I guess. Yeah. It's it's not the craziest theory when you think about marketability. And yep. you see the, the fact that he was in the uh, in the limelight for a while. So, I mean, I think most people know who he is. But the fact now that he just he also got like that father son connection, uh, it's, it wasn't the same as like Robbie Cano and his dad. That was more of like a wholesome father son connection. I feel like this mm-hmm. one was just like two brutes like, <laughs> and, you know, like, like, you know, like, uh, Doyle rules type thing where they're just like high fiving and headbutting. It's a, I think it's a different dynamic. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, the the Robbie Cano story was like you said, it was a tearjerker. His dad yeah. was like kind of uh, very uh, emotional as his son was winning. Uh, I'm sure uh, now looking back on that Robbie Cano thing, knowing what Cano was doing behind the scenes, it's a little less impressive. I guess so. His dad looked a little swole too. Now that I'm thinking about it, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I have a few ideas if we want to improve the home run derby. You want to hear them? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I, I've seen some of them, and I'm, I'm on board with a couple. So you, you know when you're playing beer pong and you can just tag a friend in for a celebrity shot? Why don't they have this option in, in the Home Run Derby? Uh, because it's a real thing, and they're trying to win. Trying to win what? It's a fake it's, thing. The celebrity won't be able to hit it out of the infield. No, no, no not like an actual celebrity. <laughs> you tag in one of, your, one of your friends who's on your team. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Another all So you got to have like a, you got to bring somebody with you. Yeah, you got to, or that even better, you bring somebody who can take one swing for you or three swings, whatever you want to give it per round. And it could be anyone from your team. It doesn't even have to be an all-star. So Mm. like someone can bring Chris Carter because, you know, he might be able to park a couple. Man. That's a lot more jerseys that they're going to have to give out. These guys are going to, it's going to be a lot of people on the field. I don't know. Maybe you're not a fan. Not a fan of the the random person, um, but I, I don't mind the celebrity swing. I think it, it needs to be uh, tweaked a little bit, but I'm I think you're, you're going somewhere with that. 
All right. How about the Babe Ruth call your shot? So I like you, this one. If you point to left field or yeah. wherever, left, center, and right, and you hit it there, it counts double. But if you don't hit it there on the very next swing, you get two home runs taken off your total. Okay. So here's where I think that it could be altered. Like I think pulling a ball and calling a shot in the left field, this is too easy for these guys. If you're a right-handed bat, left-handed bat, right field. I think if you say oppo, it's like calling, uh, calling glass. Like you got to go, you, you got to say it, you got to just think oppo. And, and if you can hit a home run to the opposite field, boom, that's, that's kind of calling the shot and, and getting extra points. That, that's where I would tweak it. All right, because that could be that could be big towards the end if you're yeah. down a couple right. and you just if you're down like six and you just call three straight shots, boom, you're back in it. Because I have a hard time. Like some of these guys would have a hard time swinging the bat, trying to go opposite field with a, a batting practice ball, and uh, it would be a lot harder for them to go opposite field with a, with a ball coming, you know, half the speed it normally does. And we that's what we were talking about for Judge last year. He looked right. effortlessly just hitting balls 425 feet to right field. Yeah, he was just getting the bat plane out in front, and, and wherever it went, it went, because he knew he was going to mash it. Maybe maybe the reason he was hitting so many opposite field home runs towards the end there last year is because his shoulder was hurting. Very possible. <laughs> Very possible. It's the reason he his did bat it. bat was lagging through the zone, so he's just like, a, a split second late on it. Yeah. I need to start peppering right field. All right, number three, aluminum bats on the final out. On the, yeah, I'm afraid one of those kids in the outfield would die. <laughs> Yeah, but we'd see some like 575 foot home runs. That would be fun. Yeah, but there will also be like off the bat 194 mile an hour <laughs> balls coming at some like 12 year old's head. Now, yeah, so you I, just I, take the kids off the field for the last out. <laughs> it would be fun to see that. It would be fun. To, there's also like you hit a foul ball and you're definitely going to kill somebody in the stands. Oh, yeah. There's just way too much. Well, then now they have the net. So, you know, protect it, the it might go through the net. It's going to be coming in so hot. <laughs> um. All right, uh, home run derby winners league gets home field advantage in the World Series. Yeah, hate that one. I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> cannot hate, cannot do not but, like that one. That that's uh, Bud Selig texted me that idea. Yeah, good one. Unlimited use of steroids two weeks leading up to the event, and you don't get drug tested. Okay, so I have a spin on this one too. We they need to have two derbies, just like they do with like the uh, they have like a rock and jack basketball game and they do the celebrity softball games and all that we need to have a steroid home run derby they need to bring back Canseco they need to bring back like all these guys Sammy Sosa Big juiced. Mac yeah yeah yes. uh, uh, Bryce Harper's dad and <laughs> and we need to see a home run derby with these guys because that shit would be entertaining I mean we could bring it back to we could they could they could even sell it the Big Mac Sammy Sosa uh you know part deux they could do the whole thing like let's let's go let's throw it back to the late 90s and bring these two guys in I know we've I know we've probably said this every sponsored year. by Andrew. <laughs> I know Balco. Uh, I know we've said this every year, probably. But those home run derbies with all those steroided freaks were, were the best that there ever will be. And it was probably because I was 12 years old. But still, they were amazing. Uh, yeah, it, our, it was good stuff. That was uh, but but that would be fun seeing a lot of these guys. And I guarantee Canseco would do it in a second. So last one, you talk, we talked about why aren't the stars doing it? Harper was doing it because it was in Washington. But right. what if you hand out $5 million to the winner? Yeah. That would get people to enter. Judge right now, I know he's still making a lot of money. He's making, uh, you know, the league minimum is still 500 plus K and he's making all these endorsement deals. But if he could just bank $5 million from winning the home run derby, I'm sure as shit he would enter. I like it. You know, 
the arbitrary number, whatever the number would be. Um, I, I think if they did something also like they, they could actually do this. And I think this would really work if they did five million. And let's say uh, two, two and a half went to the player and then two and a half went to the charity of their of their choice, something yes. like that. So yes. like these guys are going out there and they're doing um, and they're raising a ton of money for for charity. And even if they just did it as a charity play and they did five million dollars to the winner's uh, nonprofit organization, like a lot more guys would do it because that's a lot. That's easy money if you're if you're a guy who can hit the home run, and they're all doing it for good. So it would be good PR. It would be the, like I think it would get the home run derby a lot more attention as well. So I like that idea. That's a, such an easy ad for for yeah. MLB. Oh no doubt about and it. And that's a drop in the bucket for them. It's and it's it's tax deductible, <laughs> right? So we just fix it's, the home that's, run derby. That's that's a beauty right there. And like that's the one they need to do that. Uh, the all-star game was, was boring as crap until the Super last boring. couple innings when it turned into a home run derby. Yeah. Uh, I guess we got judge hitting the homer off of, off of Scherzer early. He was playing left field, which I found to be fun. And he looked, he looked like he was having an adventure out there too. He was definitely laughing about it. Yeah. And, uh, Severino threw a scoreless inning. I was, I was a little afraid after he gave off the, gave up that double that he was going to pull a Phil Hughes. You remember when Phil Hughes just totally coughed up the game yeah. back in 2010? Yeah. No, Severino but, buckled in. He's like, okay, they're hitting my fastball. Or, you know, Kemp was ready for that, definitely. <laughs> Do you, um, were you upset or anything that Sale got the start over Severino? No, I, I, I almost didn't expect Severino to get it just because I, I was honestly, uh, I think if, if Verlander had not tailed off a little bit, not to say he tailed off in a big way, but I mean, he was so, so hot starting off the season. I think if he had continued that, he would have gotten it. But well, we also, I overlooked the fact that Verlander started on Sunday. Oh, okay. I didn't see that. So I um, didn't, when we recorded last, we, I didn't see that either. Um, so I thought he would get the start, but that, that's why he didn't get the start. If he had started on Thursday or Friday, I think he would have started. The only problem I have with this is that is, is the, um, the fact that it was his third straight all-star game start. Like just give it to somebody uh, else. It's, yeah. it's not. It's not that big of a deal. It's not like it's a. It's something that you put on your resume. It's. It's just something cool for that player. And this guy's done it already twice. Like oh, yeah, he's earned it, but there's bet, other guys who have earned it as well. I bet when Sales' re- career is over and he's going on to the Hall of Fame ballot, they're going to say three straight All Star game starts. Doesn't that tell you a lot about the player's dominance? Yeah, and it what it tells me is that he's a first half pitcher. 266 career ERA in the first half. 328, which is still fantastic. I was going to say 328 is nothing to. to to you know balk at but that's a pretty big difference 266 to 328 yeah i mean the um i don't know i just don't think it's that big of a deal as far as starting give it well to somebody it else. goes from being one of the top three pitchers in baseball to one of the top 20 pitchers in baseball that's a li- that's a big difference still fantastic and at the end of the season his 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 season is is great but he 266 era earns you the start in the all-star game 328 era does not yeah, I mean, if they had the All Star Game at the end of the season, then he would not be starting it, and we would uh, we would see one of these big game guys, not not the guys that fold fold up like a lawn chair towards the end. Not that he folds up, but he definitely tires out. So we'll see how he. Uh, and I think that three twenty eight is even a little skewed too. Um, I haven't seen the numbers, but I, I'd, I'd say if you start going month by month, they get it gets worse as the season goes on too. I know um, last season with Boston, his worst his worst he was in the fours were September I think. October. Yeah, I want to say he was in the fours. But yeah. the uh, yeah, he's definitely a different guy when you get that late in the season. And I mean, when you look at the amount of torque and uh, just stress on the arm and body that that guy is, he's he's what he's uh, six f- six four six five like uh, twenty seven pounds. Yeah, soaking wet. <laughs> like the guy's a stick, 
And the amount of torque that's on the elbow, just the, the way he throws. I mean, he's a he's human Gumby in the sense that like nothing, and he's just you know he can do it with no issues. Uh, but you got to get tired at some point. Well, I've actually we talked to Chad Jennings, and, and I've I've read some places that Alex Cora has has that in mind, and they yeah. they're trying to manage his workload a little bit better. Yeah, we'll see how that works. I thought though the All Star Game, the Home Run Derby, everything was overshadowed by what's going to happen with Manny Machado. The whole thing was, I mean, even during the game, they're talking about, they're interviewing Machado saying, oh, it looks like you're going to go to the Dodgers. Not done yet, but what do you think? Is this yeah. the last time you're going to wear the, the Orioles uniform? How do you feel about that? Like the guy's commenting on his current team, which will be his old team uh, during the game. So the whole thing was overshadowed by Machado. Who's going to get Machado? And uh, yeah, he, he basically took it over. I mean, with all, I love the, all the pictures sneaking out, like yeah. uh, making all the fans think something. It's, it's hilarious. And you know, they were just trolling the entire time. People went crazy for the one that Chapman posted of him, Machado, Gleyber Torres, and Severino. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, Judge it's, was conspicuously missing. I think he was taking the photo, but because you remember when Judge got, got banged for, uh, for yeah. making the comments on Machado? What was that? Spring training, right? Yeah. He was talking to him about, about uh, you know, just nonsense. And they got on him. This is the first time Judge got in trouble. <laughs> and, he didn't uh, want to get in trouble for this one. Machado was finally traded. He's going to the Dodgers. It was unofficial the entire week. Going to the Dodgers, you thought maybe the Phillies would swoop in last minute, but Baltimore is receiving five players. And the number one player that they're receiving, Yuzniel Diaz. He's number 84. He's an outfielder, number 84 on MLB's top 100. I think when you look at the, the package, I mean, Diaz is the headliner. That would like, uh, I'm trying to think, maybe that's like trading uh, Floreal. Or Frazier. Right. And I think when you're looking at it from a Yankee standpoint, just that player alone is way too much for, for Manny Machado, a rental that you don't need. And I think that's what we settled on and what a lot of Yankee fans settled on towards the end of this is that if you can get Machado on the cheap, fine. You're not going to complain about that. But why are you going to pay a lot for something you don't need? And that, that's, I think, what Cashman ultimately um, ended up on. I, I don't think Cashman was a serious negotiator at, at, at any point during this entire thing. Like, I think that was all a bunch of bullshit. I think this whole thing was straight fluff to jack up the price for the one team, maybe a, maybe a two-team uh, race that needed Manny Machado. And it was so very obvious that Dodgers, with Seager going down, needed a shortstop. They didn't need a third baseman, and Manny Machado said, I want to play shortstop. So where is the natural fit for a guy that's injured? One of their one of their franchise players got injured for that position, and this guy's a rental so that Seager can slot right back in next year. It was the most obvious thing in the entire world. And, you know, the fact that all this hoopla was surrounding the Yankees, it was all media bullshit, all media nonsense, getting people hyped up, trying to drive costs up. And Brian Cashman is too smart for this, too smart for it. He knew what was happening the entire time. I have... Um, uh, again, it just renews my confidence in the guy because I, I don't think it was a serious negotiate, negotiation at one point. I do think he probably did his due diligence as he does with every team and every player and every exactly, trade. Exactly. But that's what he does. That's what he's supposed to do. And and if the Yankees, I mean, maybe he was also calling about Britain and Machado came up because Britain's still out there. The Yankees, I could still see trying to make something work for Britain. Um, so maybe that's what he was calling Baltimore for and also talked to him about Machado. And then as soon as that news got out, whoever leaked it from either Baltimore side or the Yankees side, like you said, obviously all of the baseball media is just going to run with that because it's the Yankees and anything with Yankees in the headline gets clicks. Yeah. And 
you know, again, the conversations are going to happen. I, I guarantee there's there's multiple phone calls during the season that happens between, um, you know, a, a given team and Brian Cashman because he's trying to figure out what's going on with them, where they are, how the water is, like, what are they looking at? What are you looking for for a certain guy? It's going to be this. This deal was just it didn't make sense for the Yankees at any point f- for any reason. They had the player that um that they needed for any for both positions that the guy plays. He didn't want to play third base. Everybody was talking about Well, having, he said he would play third base if he was traded. He would do he whatever the team asked. I understand that, but that's not where he wanted to go. When you have a player for half of a season like th- that could come into play if you're trying to get a guy that that is, you know, going to be pissy about not playing the position that he's wanted to play. But either way, you have a guy that's a young guy coming up, you know, improving his position already off to a great start. Why, why does it, it just didn't make any sense. And the fact that it was in the AL East, again, that was one of the bigger, I think that's a big hurdle that, that people didn't give enough credit. Like it's just not going to happen. You're not going to send your studs out to the Baltimore Orioles who are just done for a long time. Like they're down and out for a while and you're going to, you're going to help them rebuild their franchise for a, a guy that's not filling a void for half of a season. It doesn't make any sense. Now nah, there's no excuse to ever lose this season to the Baltimore Orioles because the only guy that ever hit you is now gone. Right. Yeah. You can't so, lose the Orioles. You, you cannot lose, lose anymore to the Orioles. You couldn't lose them before, and you certainly can't lose them now. Uh, I guess we'll see what happens in the offseason. Uh, the Yankees, I'm sure, will be in on, in on Manny and Machado totally negotiations. Different totally different Total, animal. Because you're just giving up money. I still think that it depends where he wants to play. If he's being stubborn about shortstop, I don't think there's any chance the Yankees sign him because he's not a good shortstop, and you have a good shortstop. I understand Didi's not the same offensive player, but he's a much better defensive player than Machado at that position, and he's no scrub offensively either. Now, if he's talking about third base and you want to do something with Andujar and bring Machado in to play third base for just money, okay. If that's what you're talking about, okay. But the player thing w- was pissing me off. Uh, I'm just happy we are done with this. Yeah, it, it, it took over. It just like it, it totally melted the brains of Yankees fans for a week and a half, and I was just getting so sick of it. It was like a wet blanket. Just, <laughs> just like I, the entire time I'm looking at this, I'm like, there's no, the, it doesn't make any sense on any level. So why is this still such a hot topic uh, of negotiation? Like it's actually going to happen. I mean, it's the Degrom thing. Honestly, we'll, we'll talk about that. That one has a different element into it because there's a player that's that's there, um, that's not just a rental, but this, the the bigger problem so still, position of need <laughs> like, for a position of need. But still, the bigger problem is teams that don't do business together. A lot of times, don't do business together <laughs> for a reason. It's just it's a matter of of you know optics sometimes it doesn't matter what the need is sometimes there's just two teams that are not going to do business you're never going to see the Yankees and the Red Sox make a major deal who was the guy that uh, freaking Steven Drew like that's the type of shit you're going to see from these two players for, for, for these two Ke- teams Kelly Johnson yeah that was exactly. the that was the Yankee Red Sox uh, major trade right so you're not going to see big moves by by teams like this it's just it just doesn't happen there's just too much to lose yeah, and DeGrom sort of dropped a bombshell too this week. Uh, his agent, through a statement through his agent, basically said that if, if, you're, if the Mets are not going to approach me with a long-term partnership, long-term contract, then look at trading us now because we do not want to deal with all of this speculation, all of this stuff. Will you trade me? Will you not trade me? Will you sign me? Will you not sign me? So come to the table, put an offer on there, or just move, move on with me. And it's kind of crazy considering DeGrom is still locked up to team control for two more years. Yeah, I mean, this was just a... 
this was reading between the lines type thing is just putting something out there to to say trade me because they know that the Mets are not going to be going out with a long term contract right now. Just oh, they might. You I mean, never know. I mean, the Mets the Mets are in such a an odd spot because on the one hand, you could make an argument for them tearing it down and rebuilding and getting a ton of prospects for DeGrom and whoever else they can trade. But they also have these long-term shitty contracts like Cespedes and Jay Bruce yep. and uh, Todd Frazier. I, I think Todd Frazier is only one more year, but two year, that's a two-year deal. They've yeah. got they've they've got these these uh cement blocks around their ankles in these contracts, but then they also have these unbelievable trade assets that they could get some serious value for. Well, the problem, I mean, I think they just can't, didn't they just come out and say something? Uh, Wilpon, I think, said that they're a World Series contender going into next year. Well, I, I he's, think somebody he's said a that. delusional. He's, he's, he's but, delusional. Right, but that's but look at what he just said. The owner of the Mets just said that we are a World Series contender going into next year. Does that sound like a guy that's about to trade his ace or his, or his ace number two? Does well, no, sound like that guy? no, he's Doesn't his ace number like one. Guy. DeGrom is No, I'm talking about Syndergaard, too. Oh, Syndergaard, like, yeah. Having trade any of those. Does that sound like a guy that's that's putting out there to, to say that, oh, uh, we're about to trade somebody to the New York Yankees? No, oh. maybe they're they're going to be big players on the free agent market and sign Machado in the offseason. Maybe. that's the, You know, this is, like, the Mets were in, in absolute heaven for that, like, two-month span when they were really, really good. October Yankees, 2015 was... was <laughs> Was the Yankees Mets, were not good. Yeah, they, Mets they were on top the of the world. They were awesome that month. That was great. They had these all these pitchers that were phenomenal, and they were going to win like 15 World Series. And you know what? These guys haven't been able to stay healthy. It just hasn't worked out like they like they thought. Like I, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I looked across there and I saw that pitching staff. I'm like, shit. They're going to be good for a long time if they oh, can stay I mean, healthy. Think about and what they, they were coming. They were coming into the season, and we didn't. We thought Matt Harvey was going to be able to rebound, and they had three. You can make an argument for three top top number one starters, and then. The rest of their rotation was filled with like number three guys. So you're like, that's an unbelievable rotation with an offense that can hit some home runs. And it just totally fell off the rails in classic Mets style. Right. And when they started off the season so high, they were like, oh, maybe this actually is going to happen. Yeah, 11 maybe and they, 2 or whatever. Maybe those those free agent acquisitions that they went out and made with the Frazier and the Bruce, bringing Bruce back was was something that, you know, was able to put them over the edge if this pitching staff can can hold up. And it, it just happened. Like, you, even when you look up and down that, their, um, their pitching staff, when you get, get towards the bottom, the 3-4 uh, with Mats and Wheeler, like those, those guys are... are potential top flight guys and they just haven't been able to stay healthy it's just it's a matter of of health and uh and you know unfortunately for them they haven't been able to to keep it together and Syndergaard hasn't been able to stay healthy either when I, I think when he's healthy and on the field he's probably their most dominant pitcher but he is nowhere near the durability and the steadiness of DeGrom no, DeGrom's got that like that that lanky Doc Gooden style body in the sense that he just it looks like it's effortless and um you know he he throws 98 with with ease and his mechanics look good. He just he just looks like a like a guy that's going to pitch for a long time. Well, let's hope DeGrom stays away from the nose candy. <laughs> I mean it worked out. They won a World Series. Maybe they should go back to it. Uh Two more things I want to talk about that kind of overshadowed the All-Star game and the All-Star week. First, uh, the, the tweets from Josh Hader, I'm not going to read them or anything like that. The racist and homophobic tweets, just horrible, horrible stuff. I thought I appreciated, though, that people went back digging up Aaron Judge's old tweets. And he was tweeting about going to church, how he loves brunch, how he loves Christmas movies. And it's just I really do believe Aaron Judge was somehow concocted in a lab by Brian Cashman. And he's just a perfect human. Yeah, he's definitely he's definitely it's you know, it's ironic when when a guy is is just getting uh you know, his his 
inner thoughts blasted all over, um, retweeted on on, uh, on Twitter with like just just horrible stuff, and then you go back to uh, to to Aaron Aaron Judge, who just hasn't had like a bad thought cross his mind. <laughs> like I don't think anything uh, remotely bad has ever crossed Aaron Aaron Judge's mind. Like this guy is, you like you said, we are lucky. Everybody needs to to take a moment, close your eyes, and thank their lucky stars for Aaron Judge because we have him all to ourselves. And then I saw somebody, I don't remember even who it was, put out an article on, the New York Times put this article out that the Yankees should trade Aaron Judge. When did they put that out? It was like two days ago. Someone mm. just wanting clickbait. Slow, slow news week. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then the Trout, the Trout versus the league. Um, so Manfred comes out and says Mike Trout is, is not marketed enough, that he, sh- he could do a better job at marketing himself, and he would be a bigger star, which I think we all agree with, that Mike Trout should be a bigger star. He's the best baseball player we've ever seen. It's the best baseball player you and I have ever seen, and he's not that popular. Uh, I think it's partially because he plays in the second team in Los Angeles, but whatever. But Manfred comes out, so it's, it's Manfred against the Angels organization and Mike Trout, and... <laughs> I'm sniffing a little something fishy. It was just, it's just a weird thing, like where he comes out and, and says this. And I don't know if it was just questioning that probed him to, to come out and say something like that. If it was, you know, if it was like pointed questions that he had to answer and, and he kind of got himself down a rabbit hole that he couldn't get out of at that point. But it's just strange for the commissioner of baseball to come out and say that. Uh, at the same time, the commissioner is the, the head ambassador of the game, right? He's the guy that's supposed to promote the game as much as possible. So, of course, he wants to see his guys out there in, in, the, in the media doing all the, the good things in a, in a positive way. And that he knows Mike Trout and Aaron Judge are probably the two of the, the more you know, rosy, positive guys that you can have and would be the best ambassadors for the game that those two guys put on a pedestal because – they're clean and they're 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 wholesome and they're great at baseball and they say the right things and so yeah I understand why he you know obviously wants Trout to take a bigger role but at the same time it's like you know why are you coming after this kid who's done nothing he's just exactly put his because head down and he's gone his about his business quote unquote the right way and no one gives a crap so how do we stir up some some publicity. Yep. Let's start a little fake argument between the league and Mike Trout. Get him on the front pages. Maybe then people will notice that Mike Trout is on pace to have the greatest career of of all time. I mean, when you look at his numbers, it's 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 pretty amazing. Uh, and I haven't done this recently, but I can only imagine they've they've stayed parallel. Uh, but he's he's basically Mickey Mantle reincarnate. Like the the numbers that he puts up are at prime Mickey Mantle numbers. Like that's that's the type of guy he is. He's Mickey Mantle without booze and and all the injuries. <laughs> right. He's the guy that stays behind the scenes, not going out. Mantle was out in the clubs and doing all these things. Like, could you imagine a Mickey Mantle during the social media era? Like his career oh, probably would have been over in five years because he would have been in so much trouble. But see, f- people always say that. Could you imagine if if Mickey Mantle was not an alcoholic? I think that I, I think Mickey Mantle needed the booze in his early career career to just go out there that like that fueled him that's yeah, no, why, that's why alcohol, he went out there and won triple crowns i'm not saying the alcohol was the was the problem early on um, it was definitely part of the problem you know towards the end it was the partying and the women and but and yeah but no everything. you just being out all the time and, and, and if there was like a, a camera or people had oh, phones yeah. like that's what i'm saying like you, you, he wouldn't have been able to do that no so Absolutely. it's uh it's but but that's how good of a baseball player this kid is like he's uh, an all-world talent all right, He's not let's an all-world marketable guy. That's the problem. Let's uh, talk about the Yankees going into the second half. So we've got some injury updates. Gary Sanchez has been rehabbing. He's scheduled to come back Friday against the Mets. Uh, he's hit two home runs in his rehab. I saw there was like a wild pitch pass ball situation. So Gary Sanchez, midseason form, ready to come back. 
Yeah, and that's going to be a big deal because, you know, we sent out a tweet from from Yankees podcast talking about the production level of of the catchers, right? Since Gary Sanchez has been out and all the people pining for Austin Romine being the starting catcher because he he was batting 358 at some one point during the season when he probably had like what 30 at bats. So this is a, this is a very telling stat. Yeah, so since Gary Sanchez went on the DL between Romine and Higgy, 77 plate appearances, a 186 batting average, 250 on base, five homers, which is odd because Higgy only hits homers, and eight RBIs. I understand Gary Sanchez has not had the best offensive season, but they definitely miss his bat. At the very least, Gary Sanchez is a threat in that lineup, and Higgy and Romine are no threats. They're in the bottom. They're they're they're. Uh, approached as the easy out in the Yankees lineup. And that's a problem. We love Romine as a backup catcher. He's a great backup player. But I think we're seeing he had a hot month and people were overreacting because Gary Sanchez had a cold month and he had some pass balls. But you have to look past that and you have to look what else Gary Sanchez does. Because since those guys have, uh, since Gary Sanchez has been out, this is also a big step. Opposing base runners are 18 for 21, which is 86% success rate at stealing bases. Gary Sanchez, we know, the strong part of his catching game is his arm. He's thrown out 26% of runners this season and 36% for his career. And he shuts down the running game just from that reputation. So, so people just think all it is is pass balls. Oh, he can't catch. I think people need to understand what we have in Gary Sanchez and, and really have some perspective here. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a classic case of be careful what you ask for. And, you know, the grass is greener when you're seeing a guy that's that's uh, putting up some good numbers. And, and I think the other part of the, you know, the, the people that were and, and trust me, I, I really give zero legitimacy to any of these arguments because it's it's just asinine when you're when you're looking at those two players and you say that you want Romine to be the starter. So it, let me let me say that first. But when you're when you have an expectation for a guy like Austin Romine, who is a career backup catcher. Um, and, and is having a much better offensive production uh, from his season, like he's like he was early in the season this year compared to his uh, previous seasons. Your expectations are, are way overmatched at that point. Like you you have a low expectation for this guy, and then he's exceeding that. And once that starts happening, like you go into some like cloud, like a little euphoria, and you're like, oh, maybe this guy is better now. Maybe he is been grooming and he's been practicing and he's he's barreling up the ball more. And the guy that's out there now is not doing well, and he has passed balls all. The time and he's striking out. And he's in, hitting under the Mendoza line, so it's an easy thing to say. Okay, this guy's better than this guy because you look at them at for face value at that moment. You got to look at the career. You got to look at who they are underneath, and you got to see that you know make that assumption. Like this guy's struggling right now, and this guy's red freaking hot. Both of them are not going to give. Where's the mean? And and the mean Gary Sanchez is a thousand percent better. It was just a classic overreacting to what you just saw yesterday type of type type of approach, which I think a lot of people fall into the trap of. Yeah. Yep. We're here to ground you, bring you back to Earth. <laughs> hey, you might not always get grounded, but you'll at least get a, a semi-logical argument, which you <clears throat> cannot make for Romine over Sanchez. And also, Glaber Torres said he feels 100%. Do you think they're going to have him go on a couple rehab games? They have not yeah. announced anything, so he could come back Friday or Saturday, but I could see them having him rehab a couple times in Scranton first. Yeah, I think they will. I think they will definitely do that just to make sure that he's not the type. If he was a veteran guy, I could see them potentially bringing him up like, immediately and just getting into it, but um, I, I would absolutely expect him to rehab. It would be a surprise if they didn't. Maybe the all-star break, the fact that everybody's been out has a little something to do with um, you know, what's the difference, but... Uh, I would ex- still expect them to, t- to send him down to Scranton for a little bit. Well, because so and they, both, have, and they have guys who can play. 
both Torres and Chapman went to the All-Star game despite the fact that they knew they weren't going to be playing in the game. And I right. thought if Glaber did was not named an All-Star, perhaps he would have been rehabbing this week. But they probably figured this is he was named to his first All-Star game. Right. It's an unbelievable honor for a rookie. Let him go and enjoy it, which he did. He enjoyed he was clearly Look having a ton of blast. fun. Yeah. And that's something that is more important to Gleyber Torres' season probably than a couple rehab games in Scranton, which you can just do this weekend anyway. Right. I, I'm going to agree with that. You, you can't take that away from the kid. He's had such a, uh, um, such a good season, and he's been you know, a good surprise early. This, I, I think a lot of people, uh, one, they expected him to do well, but you know, becoming an all-star this early in his career is, is, uh, is pretty ridiculous. So he did, he did look like he was having a lot of fun. I love the, uh, the video of him uh, taking judges at bat with the home run. Like, horrible was, video. Uh, horrible video, but you could just, the, the, uh, you know, the, the joy in that kid's, he was just like a kid at a baseball game watching. Like, it was like he was watching his idol. It was awesome. Yeah, it's you got to remember, the kid's 21. It's insane. Yeah. Uh, I don't love these pitching matchups. Herman and Syndergaard on Friday, Sonny Gray and Mats on Saturday, and Tanaka and DeGrom on Sunday. We're going to get Tanaka DeGrom, which I guess could be fun. But those are some uh, tough pitching matchups for the Yankees, especially if Syndergaard and DeGrom are on their game. Yeah, both both of these guys are well-rested coming in, uh, you know. They're, uh, it's, it's amazing when you see how the Mets are struggling when you see this pitching lineup that's coming up against us. I'm like, damn, that's, that's a formidable pitching lineup. When you go against Syndergaard, Mats, and Mats could shut you down as well. Um, and DeGrom, that's, that's tough. I'm just glad, even though he's coming off of a good start, that we're not getting Sonny Gray. I'm very yes. happy about that because that it's not way. worked out in the past. No. <laughs> um, okay, let's uh, get into some midseason awards for the Yankees. Before that, though, just want to remind people to submit mailbag questions for the next episode. If you want to do that, go to bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. You can also tweet us your questions at Yankees Podcast on Twitter or uh, join the Facebook group. Post your questions there at the Bronx Pinstripe Show. All right, Scott, I think this is an easy one. Who's the team MVP in the first half? See, there's a, some of these awards are pretty damn obvious. Uh, there's not really too much debate in some of these. Uh, I think when you're looking at team MVP, this one I think has a, a bit of a debate because you could go with, um, you know, some people like to put pitchers in the in the league MVP race. I'm not a big proponent of that, but when you look at what the season has has been and, and where they are currently, um, Aaron Judge I think is the uh, is the obvious offensive player just because of his consistency. I think we're seeing that like not a streaky Judge by any means. We're seeing a guy that's just coming out there every day and just being a consistent dominant force. But I think Severino's got to be up there uh, with with um, with these MVP talks because the Yankees can absolutely depend on him, and there's been nothing dependable about this rotation besides Severino. I think that's fair. And I think when we, we got a mailbag question maybe a month or a month and a half yeah. ago about who is the team MVP, and I said Luis Severino. Right. Um, I, but it's, it's, it's one of those fluid situations where I flip-flop on this. I'm giving it to Judge because, it, no surprise here, we're giving the team Cy Young to Luis Severino. But when you look at Judge's first half, he's coming off the, the top, the second MVP finish last year where he had that massive slump. And you're thinking, well, what happens if that slump comes in April? What are people going to say then about Aaron Judge? But he's been fairly consistent the entire season. We talked about his home road splits. Those aren't great. But he still ranks top five in MLB war for on baseball reference, 5.1, and on fan graphs, 4.7. Top five player in those categories. The only other Yankee in the top 30 is Stanton at 2.9. Judge is, is very consistent offensively. And he's a weapon defensively, which we've learned this season. 
I think that's one of the bigger things too is that we're seeing his defense even play more this year. I think he's getting more confidence. Um, no people aren't running on him at all. We're seeing that for sure. Like you're talking about the Gary Sanchez effect, where you know he's stifling a running game just before he even throws it because of the cannon and uh, and, and all the coaching staff and the runners know what he has. I, we're seeing the same thing with Judge, and and when they do test him on the rare occasion they do test him, he's throwing guys out yeah. consistently. Um, or you know if he's not, the ball is right there. It's damn close. So I think we're seeing a uh, a lot more of the defense from him and and a lot more respect across the league for the defense because people now see that one he can cover a ton of ground uh, and that he's got a, an absolute cannon as an arm and we had we we kind of talked about how judge has not had one of those hot streaks that we saw him have last year and he's right. still on pace for 40 homers and 100 rbis so what happens if he does go on the, one of those hot streaks and he has a great month of august or september then we're talking about 50 homers and 120 rbis again for this guy well and, and you know people might forget the fact that going into the all-star break, the reason why he was the toast of the town last year for this all-star break, like I don't remember if he was the, the, uh, the triple crown leader at that point, but it was damn close Very to the triple close crown leader to at that point, like right? 330 at the time. Yeah, he was, he was, if not the triple crown leader at that moment, um, he, he had, he had it like within a week or so of the all-star break. Like he was having that ridiculous of a season. So he, uh, he came out so unbelievably hot last year that, that he could even sustain that long, uh, slump after the all-star break so I mean nothing that we're seeing right now is is uh is you know telling you that that this guy is is going to slump because his approach at the plate is just so much better than it is than it was when he first came up and uh, it just seems like the adjustments that he's made has just made him such an all-around good batter that yes he's going to strike out there's no doubt but he's also making a, a good amount of contact and he oh, and he takes his walks and I think that's the key taking your walks being patient and we're going to see him uh, keep in that consistent mode. All right. So we said Severino is the team Cy Young. couple stats yeah. on him to just uh, drive that point home. He's fifth in pitcher war. He's seventh in ERA, fifth in FIP, first in wins, ninth in whip, tied seventh in innings pitched, and 10th in Ks. Top 10 in all of these pitcher categories. Obviously, one of the best pitchers in baseball. Obviously, team Cy Young. Hundred percent. There's no doubt about it. This is uh, very obvious. The kid's a bulldog. Um, I think this one's obvious too. Yeah. Um, See, there's a there's a bunch of obvious ones. <laughs> even even the even the next two after this are pretty damn obvious. Uh, team rookie of the year goes to Glaber Torres. Uh, I think there was a point maybe a month ago where it was a close race between him and and, and Duhar, but mm-hmm. Glaber Torres being the all star, one point six WAR. Um, he took the team took off. I think it's really telling that the team yeah. took off, went on that run where they beat all of those good teams immediately when Glaber was called up. Yeah, and Glaber can can hit all all over the lineup. I mean, we've seen him hit nine. We've seen him hit at the top. We've seen you know Boone be very uh, interchangeable with the way he hits. So the guy's got. He's just got one of the one of the purest swings I've seen in a while. Um, and he's a, he's a joy to watch hit. And, and the, I think the bigger difference also between him and Andujar is that Torres is a, is a much better defender. Uh, we saw, I think, early on some of the bonehead, like just, just simple plays that he didn't make. Uh, I think he's cleaned that up quite a bit. And uh, that was, you know, we, we chalked that up to just youth, youths, the youths out there, you know, making the some... The two uh, youths. The two youths over Ooh, there. How making, have we not made that t-shirt? Uh, he's making some, uh, making some, I don't know, but we got to do that now. Now that it's out there in the interwebs in the in the in the podcast world, um, but we we've seen him make some some great plays, and I think he's cleaned up the uh, the, the the small fundamental things because I think that's all it was was small fundamentals. Glaber has a nine oh five OPS, and at age twenty one or younger, 
He joined Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle for the only Yankees in history to have a 900-plus OPS at that age. Pretty, uh, pretty, pretty, pretty good. good. And he's clutch. 333 batting average with runners in scoring position, and we've mentioned the 6-3 run bombs this yeah. season. He loves, loves when there's two runners on base. Loves it. Uh, and I think uh, that segues nicely into the team LVP, least valuable player. See, the funny thing is the comparisons between the team MVP and the Cy Young and the team LVP and the team, as you named it, Cy Yuck, which I like, is uh, they, they, could, they could also be the same guy. Um, uh, you have in here a, a different guy. If I'm going for the, uh, the, the team LVP, I'm going with Sonny Gray. I'm going with the least valuable player at this point is Sonny Gray because of the value part. He's had such... He came, we came into the season as, as him being such an integral part of this team and, and this rotation. And the fact that he has just absolutely laid dog shit out on the mound <laughs> time after time after time after time after time, it's been driving me nuts. And that, the fact that he has uh, you know, put this team in such a bad position um, to lose games, you know, absolutely lose games, then I, I think he, he's uh, the, the least valuable player at this moment. And, you know, all he, he can really only go up from this point. That's fair, because when you, you talk, and I think when you're also comparing it to what were we expecting from this player? Expectations are big, no doubt about it. Um, so literal definition of value, you can measure it based on war, and that's Neil Walker. He's a minus 0.7 war. He's 197 batting average. He's provided them absolutely nothing. You could plug in just any old player from the minor leagues, and he's going to probably be a zero war. So Neil Walker's been worse than that. They could have plugged in Tyler Wade the entire time, and he'd probably be at zero war right now. But Walker's also blocking Brandon Jury on the roster, we think. So we got to get Neil Walker off the team. Everyone's in agreement. But I do like the case you made for Sonny Gray, who is the Cy Yuck of the team. <laughs> but he, he is also the, the LVP. I think he is. the Yankees have a 7-0-1 win percentage when Sonny Gray does not touch the field. They're 54 and 23 if Sonny Gray just sits his ass on the bench. Otherwise, they're behind the Red Sox for four and a half games. They'd be ahead if they just didn't have Sonny Gray going out there and crapping himself all these times. And, and at Yankee a, Stadium, one more yeah. stat on Yankee Stadium, Sonny Gray has allowed a 329, 415, 564 slash line. He has allowed opposing players to be MVP level, Mike Trout level players when pitching at Yankee Stadium. He gives the Yankees zero chance to win at Yankee Stadium. <laughs> yes, this is so. And when you're talking about expectations and everybody who listens to this show obviously knows what my expectations were for this kid. I expected him to come out and throw five innings, six innings on a consistent basis with the, the team in. Uh, in the games and him just racking up wins. I thought that was going to be the, the like a, a perfect scenario for him. And he has just shit the bed. He he's pitched like a a guy that is coming up deer in headlights from Double A. Oh, Johnny Lasagna did it. Didn't pitch like that. Sorry, Sonny Gray, you're worse than a guy from Double A coming up deer in headlights. He's been awful. Now look to spin it the other way because I know this is a negative part of the the segment. He was very good on the last one. He hopefully can turn this thing around because I do think a lot of it is in his brain and in mentally. And hopefully this all-star break was able to reset him and he's able to come back out and, and, you know, provide a, a bit of a spark because honestly, he's still such an important cog to this team, such an important part of um, what the Yankees do down the stretch. I mean, he's, he's absolutely integral. 
I just want to give an honorable mention to Chasen Shreve, who I believe got engaged over the All-Star break, so congrats, Chasen. Um, but he should not have a job much longer. He is the only pitcher on the roster with a negative war. He has a 522 FIP, and he has reverse splits against lefties, so he is useless. Get him off the team. Team defensive star. We kind of already touched on this. Aaron Judge, he's spectacular. 12 defensive runs saved. But if you just look at the overall Yankees outfield defense for their four main outfielders, Judge, Hicks, Gardner, and Stanton, they have saved a total of 28 runs. Their outfield defense is excellent. Yeah, and I think we're seeing better defense from Stanton than we expected, too. I mean, this guy's definitely, definitely athletic. And, you know, I, we've touched on the fact that he's not as fluid as a guy like Judge out there, you know, comparing the two size guys. But he plays the, the position well. And, um, you know, he, he's super athletic and can cover a lot of ground. Um, so I think we're, we're definitely seeing a lot more of a, a better defensive player than I was expecting from, from Stanton. And then, you know, we know what Hicks is. Hicks is a, is a plus-plus center fielder. The guy makes ridiculous plays. He's got a freaking hose. Um, and then Garden Guardy's just like rock solid in left in left field. Just rocks. He he plays that field, and I think that's one of the under uh, underappreciated things about Gardner is that left field in Yankee Stadium is so big and such a difficult position to play for any player. Um, it does play as a second center field basically, and Gardner just knows it so well. He knows the wall, how to play the wall so well. Um, he's just he's just really good out there, and I think that's something that needs to be appreciated more because of the dif- difficulty in playing left field at Yankee Stadium. And when you do move Gardner to center field, you also get very good outfield defense with him in center. No doubt about so it. So he's versatile there. Under the radar star. So what guy have we just sort of been taking for granted who has had an unbelievable first half? Yeah, I think so. There's there's a couple of them. I think um, I think Brett Gardner is one of them. I think he, there's been so much talk about him, uh, you know, with with Clint Frazier coming up and, and the fact that he's blocking him in left field and he's got one uh, an option year next year for the Yankees if they're going to pick it up, if they're not. There's been a lot of talk around him, and I think the appreciation for him has, uh, you know, has has definitely wavered. I think it's definitely come back. We've seen him hit, hit you know, clutch home run right. after clutch home People run. People wanted him off the big team hit back after in big April. Big hit, yeah. So I think that's uh, one of those guys who, you know, it, it's tough to say he's under the radar because he's been there forever, but he's kind of under the radar when you have all these these new guys and this this star power. You know, Brett Gardner's just there at the top of the lineup, grinding, 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 working those at bats, getting the uh, the looks for the the guys underneath him in the batting order from the pitcher. You know, he does his job, and uh, he's a terrific player. That's fair. For me, I was thinking about who who has just had... I was looking up and down the roster. Who's had an unbelievable season? A lot of guys have. But Chapman, we kind of just been taking for granted. And he is having his most dominant season since 2012 when he was with Cincinnati. He's 26 out of 27 in saves. He's got a 135 ERA. He's got a 149 FIP. He's, struck at, he's striking out 15.3 batters per nine innings. He already has racked up 1.9 war, which is extremely impressive for a reliever. And we just have him, no one's been talking about him. He's just out there. He's an all-star. He's been dealing with knee issues. Doesn't matter. Still locking it down. Yeah, the crazy thing about him is that, is, is I think that, um, you know, we saw some struggles from him last year. We definitely saw him more erratic. And, Pulled and maybe, from the closer role. Yeah, maybe that was because, you know, he was not healthy, you know, not, not fully healthy. And, you know, there was a lot of talk. How did the uh, the postseason before with the Cubs and Joe Madden, the way that he used him, how did that affect him health-wise? There was some question marks going into that offseason when he was a free agent. Is he healthy? Is this a guy that you can sign for a long-term deal and not have, you know, these um, reservations about him staying healthy for the entire thing? And and I think we're, we're one, we know he's a ridiculous athlete, probably one of the better, if not the best athlete on the team. Like some guys would say that he would beat anybody in a, in a, in a race, uh, you know, for uh, home to first. 
but the guy has definitely had knee issues, but it seems like he's, he's been able to manage them well enough, and he's been pitching really well. Okay, who's the most surprising player? Uh, so who did we didn't expect anything from, but has provided a lot, or we expected a lot from, we kind of already mentioned this with Sonny Gray, and we've got nothing from. So, so let's take a positive spin on this. Who are you surpri- pleasantly surprised with? Um, I think um, there's a couple guys. Uh, if we're if we're looking at the the offense, if we're looking at the um, the, the batters, we'll, we'll talk about them first. One, I think Gardner actually does play into here too, because I, I think a lot of people did think that he was you know on the downside of his career, and, and honestly, he doesn't look like he's letting up much at all. He's he's stayed pretty damn consistent. The clutch home runs have been ridiculous. Um, he's still playing a great defense, uh, and, and you know he's he's a he's a leader of the clubhouse. So it's hard. It's I think it's a little. Um, it's unfair to call him surprising because he's just been kind of that consistent guy. Uh, but I think Andujar surprised me a bit. I wasn't expecting him to to hit as well uh, as he was, as he is and has been when he first came up. I thought there would be more struggles with him as that big free swinger. But I think what I've realized is that he does make a lot more contact, um, even though he is a, a very free swinger. You know, I thought it was going to be more on the side of Castro where we're going to see like terrible, terrible strikeouts, a lot of them. Uh, I just think Andujar is a is a better guy for putting the bat on the ball, even if it's a bad pitch. He makes a lot of contact. Yeah, I, I don't know if you saw me fake talking myself into Andujar over Machado the other day, but when we're look when you look at uh, career on base percentage, career uh, OPS, and career swing swing rate, Andujar, who I know only has had a half a season of career, is in line with Machado. It's kind of funny when when uh, comparing the two players. I understand and, Machado's and a better player. And he's player. only played for a quarter of the season. Like, that's that's what's crazy. Like, this guy hasn't even, you know, found himself yet. That's what's unbelievable. And I, I feel like people, the, the fact that he's up at the big leagues, people are like, oh, he is this player right now. Well, no, he's only been here for, you know, a couple months. He's still trying to, you know, he's working himself in. Like, imagine what this guy will be next year when he knows the pitchers and he's more confident and he's more comfortable. You know, there's, he can only, you can get better, a lot better. Uh, two guys stand out to me, both in the bullpen. Holder, who after the first week of the season when he got demoted back down to AAA and he was awful, he didn't allow an earned run in 23 straight appearances from April 21st to June 27th. I think he's been a very big asset for them. And then also Batances, who has refound his dominance. 41 innings pitch, 72 strikeouts, and only 24 hits allowed. Everyone wrote Dellen Batances off after what happened last year, and he's back. He's back in a big way, and that's great because that's a huge thing. I mean, we, I mean a lot of people wanted to get rid of him uh, multiple times over because he was so damn erratic. I mean, and he was pretty damn bad at the end of the season. There's, there's no doubt about it. He couldn't find the strike zone. Um, again, another guy that I think that is, uh, you know, once you start, once you lose your mechanics a little bit with a guy that big, and then you lose your confidence on top of that, it's a very, very hard thing to fix in season, I think. Um, and I think he's he's gotten back to his mechanics. And I, I, you got to give a lot of credit to uh, to Boone for that, too, because I think he stuck with him. I mean, we saw him go multiple times, two innings, and I think that showed confidence in the in the player. And I think that's a big deal for Dylan Batances. I think you do have to kind of boost him up a little bit. Um, he's that kind of guy where he needs that, uh, that, that support. And Jonathan Holder's, I mean, a great example. And I think that's probably the, the most obvious choice for the surprising award because nobody had him doing anything coming out of, uh, coming out or into the season. And, you know, the fact that he broke camp with the team and then such a horrific start and then it trickled down into AAA even after he got demoted down there. Um, and this rebound that he's had has been, you know, f- pretty phenomenal. So a lot of credit to that kid. 
Best win of the first half. I, I found four games that stood out, or we found four games. I could not narrow it down. So quickly, here are the four. May 1st at Houston. This was Verlander against Monty. When Monty went down, Herman comes in and shuts, it, shuts down the game. And then we obviously know about Gary Sanchez just killing Ken Giles, and we'll talk about that in a second. So that's that's one. May 9th against Boston, the Yankees score four runs off of the bullpen in the eighth inning, and they win 9-6. to six. That's when Gardner had the go-ahead triple off Kimbrell, and then Judge hit a laser homer to center field. June 8th at the Mets, this was DeGrom versus Tanaka, so this is a rematch we're going to get on Sunday. This was when Gardner hit that two-run homer off DeGrom late in that game. That was a surprising win for the Yankees. It's also uh, the night that Tanaka's hamstrings died. That sounds like a song, actually. And then June 20th, this was Gary ties it late. Stanton walks it off um, against Seattle. And then Stanton, since that game, since he got the monkey off his back, his signature Yankee moment, he's batted 347, 405, 584. Damn. Yep. Yeah. That that was a big game for him, no doubt about it. If we're yeah. looking at the biggest win for for uh, potentially the lineup, you know, you could circle that one for sure when you're looking at the way Stanton has come back and uh, and played. Um, you, all big games, all pick different one. scenarios. Got to pick I, one. If I'm picking one, um, it's the originally I, I was going to pick the the May first game, but I, but then I realized that they were in the middle of a, a very long winning streak. Um, but that that game was crucial because they were coming up against that was the second game in the Houston series where they were playing and they had just lost. So they were it was a big game and Verlander was crushing them the whole day, just mowing down Yankees. And and the fact that they got to them late um, and the, their bullpen pitched a completely clean game after Monty went down in the what first inning, right? Or second inning, first inning? Well, he pitched one inning. Yeah, so it was the yeah. So he didn't, he didn't come, come back, back out. out. For the second That's what inning. it was. Yeah, so Herman came in and, and just uh, that was kind of like the beginning of Herman. I think where people were like, "Oh, this kid, you know, could be something." Uh, but they they kept him in the game the entire time, pitched a clean uh, all the way through, and uh, and then the, then when Giles punches himself in the face. But I think the, the game you have to circle is the fact that is the one against Boston um, when they came back and won it off the bullpen uh, for Boston, especially off of Kimbrel, who is you know one of the more dominant closers in the game. The fact that they were get able to get to him was was huge I think and puts that little bit of doubt now in the back of Kimbrell's mind exactly that was my pick too for the reason you just mentioned that the Yankees got to the Boston bullpen which is probably the underbelly of, of the Red Sox yeah but that may I mean, looking back at that May series too or I'm sorry the May 1st Houston series it went Houston um, Cleveland Boston or Boston Cleveland and so that that three game stretch or that three series stretch was you know against the playoff teams, basically. Yep. So that was a big stretch for them to uh, to come. And if they lose that game against Verlander, they're dropping the first two at Houston. Who knows what happens the rest of that series? That It could have been a big swing. Definitely. All right, let's talk about the flip side. Worst losses. I've narrowed it down to three, technically four. April 1st, very early on in the season, Easter Sunday bullpen meltdown. This is, you remember, the Justin Smoke Grand Slam off David Robertson oh, yeah. when we criticized Boone for, for pitching around Donaldson, who couldn't even stand up, couldn't even throw, and pitched to Smoke, who kills the Yankees. So that's one. I'm lumping April 6th and April 8th against Baltimore at home together. Now, April 7th was our event in the middle. Sonny Gray actually showed up and pitched well, but... April 6th and the 8th, both extra inning losses to Baltimore. The April 6th game, 14-inning loss. You remember the play when Didi was running home on a pass ball and we thought maybe the catcher was blocking the plate, or excuse me, the pitcher was blocking the plate. Some weird shenanigans there. The Yankees can't win that game. That was like a marathon game. And then they come back on that Sunday after they, they actually got a win with Sonny Gray. They come back on April 8th. They score five runs in the first inning and they end up losing in 12 innings. 
to Baltimore. So putting those there. And then June 30th against Boston is a low point for Sonny Gray. He gives up a thousand runs in the first two innings. Yankees had no shot in that game. So here's the good news. They were er the, the, Two of the three, three of the four, if you will, of the bad losses were very early in the season. That's the good news. The one that killed me the most was that smoke home run, like that, the grand slam. That, that one just because there were so many things that was the it was April 1st. It was the kind of the beginning of us seeing what Boone does. Uh, it was, you know, everybody and their brother questioned that decision. So that one at the time really hurt. Uh, but when you look back in the in the fact that they lost those games to Baltimore, I think those are the those are the, the probably the two biggest ones because I'm putting Sonny Gray's loss on Sonny Gray. To me, that team loss was like t- they, he just gave them no opportunity. So it's almost just like a, a microcosm of what he's been for the first half of the season uh, and how important he is because if he's good and he pitches against Boston well and the, and this team is able to uh, compete. Who knows what happens in that game? But the fact that he comes out, just takes a giant steaming dump on the mound, and Boston runs over you from the from the you know very beginning of the game, you have no opportunity. Um, so that's on Sonny Gray. Terrible. Uh, but the, the team losses, if I'm looking at team losses, I'm looking at the, the first two in the beginning of the season. Agree. Every game to Baltimore. Every game they've lost to Baltimore is the worst loss. Yeah. Craziest moments. We already mentioned the, the Ken Giles. Uh, Gary Sanchez hits the blast off of him. And then since then, Ken Giles has a 6.53 ERA and just recently got demoted to AAA. So Gary Sanchez murdered Ken Giles. Also, lest we forget, Tyler Austin, Joe Kelly brawl at Fenway. Yeah, I think that's overshadowed at this point, right? That's uh, I think craziest moment is uh, is a solid tie. But the fact that Ken Giles punched himself in the face was just unbelievable. <laughs> the it best. will it will be the gif and video that lives on forever. That's an amazing thing. Um, but the fact that the Yankees and the Red Sox had a brawl that is awesome too, because that very well may come into play later in the season. Think about that. Circle that last series in Fenway uh, to you know yeah, potentially. The Yankees have not played at Fenway since then. Yeah, so that that could be a big big deal, and you know that there's there's going to be tension brewing underneath, and uh, and and these guys, uh, one little one little you know look the wrong way or a ball inside the wrong way, uh, could could spark that again. So that's a big deal, and yeah, um, it hasn't problem, happened in a while. The problem is though, Tyler Austin's not on the team and probably not going to be on the team in the second half, and it's unfortunate for him because after he came back from that suspension, he only hit one fifty three, one ninety three oh five after yeah. he was having a pretty solid start to the season. I mean, I think we, we kind of all knew where, where he eventually was going to be, but, you know, he's. I, I don't think that takes away from the fact that the Yankees and the Red Sox now have some beef. You know, okay. Tyler Austin was the guy who started it at that point. Well, Joe Kelly was the guy who started it. But I think there's beef between the between the guys. And they, all those guys on our team right now, they're, they're boys with Tyler Austin. So it's not like they forgot that. And Brock Holt getting, getting all uh, pissy over like, the fact that he may or may not have been spiked. <laughs> he was spiked, but whatever. Uh, Boone's best moment. We were talking about this before we, we hit record that there's not one moment that really stands out to us for Boone. No, I, I, we were trying to find out that, that, that one moment. And, um, is that you know, a good I, thing or a bad thing? I though? think that's a good thing actually, because that means one, the team is, is doing kind of what they're supposed to do. He hasn't really had to, um, make any huge decisions. You know, if we're talking about the best moment in, 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 uh, for the team and the way that they've succeeded, I'll, actually, I just thought of one. Jonathan Holder. I'll say Jonathan Holder because, one, he got the nod coming up to camp. He, get, he had a lot of confidence in him. And, and Dylan Batantis. I think that there's criticism on Boone going to these two-inning spots with some of these guys. But at the same time, he's built up the confidence big time for Dylan Batantis, showed confidence in him going back to him time and time again. And Jonathan Holder coming back up and going to him in high-leverage situations. And because of that, because 
because he's performed and they've you know put in those situations and have uh, done well, they've become huge parts of this team. And I don't think that happens with Girardi. I think if 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 there's a different manager who who doesn't have show that same confidence in a guy like Holder to keep bringing him back up and put in those positions, we don't see the really good Jonathan Holder at that point. And to this point, he's been a, a crucial part of the team. Yeah, Boone's just been duding up the whole time. It's doing well, what he does best. Pretty steady. Well, let's talk about his worst moment now. Does any of them stick out to you? I mean, it's the I still can't stand the, the decision of uh, pitching to smoke. <laughs> that one still drives me nuts. But again, it was so early in the season that I really can't look back and get too mad about it. So the um, the other one I know that, that you've put in the notes is probably the the one that's obvious. Yeah, and that we talked about this happened recently in that Red Sox series. It flew under the radar at the time, but then when you look back on it, it bit him in the ass, and that was using Batances and Chapman in the Sunday night blowout game just because they needed work. And then you ended up having to really um, spend your bullpen in that Atlanta series. And it kind of cost them a game in that Atlanta series, could have cost them more games. But but if you want to use guys because they need work, I, I guess I understand that to a, st- to a certain extent. But why are you going to use two guys that need work? How about save one of them? Maybe the next game's a blowout too, and you can get the other guy some work. But to 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 waste Batances and Chapman in the same game in a game you did not need them, I thought was a little short sighted on on Boone's part. I think the the biggest thing for these two these two categories, best moment, worst moment for a, a manager, is nobody ever talks about a manager's best or worst moment in a regular season. It's all going to come down to what happens towards the end of the season and the, the decisions that Boone makes in a short series or in a pivotal game seven or you know uh, uh, you know the the roster for the playoffs. Those are going to be the decisions that everybody will circle and scrutinize and look over and over again and see if it works or it doesn't work. Those are going to be the ones. So he's he's still waiting for the uh, for us to really get on his ass. That's true. Definitely. We'll see what happens. Hopefully he doesn't have one of those Girardi moments from, from last postseason. I want to sum up the first half of Yankees baseball in one phrase, and that would be rain out doubleheader. It's been, it's been <laughs> a lot of rain outs, a lot of doubleheaders. And, We're not done. Uh, we got one more. A lot of consecutive games, a lot of games bunched together. Not, not, you don't see as many uh, off days with the, these rainouts and doubleheaders, but yeah, it's been a lot of them. The, the weather, weather happened. All right, that'll do it for the awards and do it for today's episode. Next episode uh, will come uh, on Monday. As I said, submit mailbag questions. We will be recapping the event on Sunday night against the Mets and also recapping that series. Scott, anything else? Just everybody who's coming to the game on Sunday, just keep an eye out for an email from me uh, at some point later today, and we'll start the process of getting all of the tickets over. And uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing everybody and hanging out at the brewery and the game on Sunday. It's going to be fun. See you guys there on Sunday. Talk to everybody else on Monday. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger 
for the ones who get it done.